Every single player who's come to Michigan State since 2007 has a ring on their finger. I'm going to be a coach here for a long time. It's not over. It's just starting. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. So you might as well just come out and say what you're, what's your feeling at some point in time, because you know I can only be diplomatic for so long. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It's Friday, September 20th, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, it is game preview time. Michigan State heads to the beautiful town of Evanston, and I'm not even saying that sarcastically. If you've ever been to Northwestern's campus, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, take a chance to to go there, maybe for a football game or just a trip at some point. Really nice place. So uh, heading to beautiful Evanston to take on Northwestern. It's Northwestern's homecoming, looking to spoil the Northwestern homecoming party and get off this three-game losing streak to the Wildcats. That is one of the more inexplicable things that I've probably seen in all my time following Michigan State football. It's like, really? Three in a row against Northwestern? How did that happen? But it is in the process of it. We're in the middle of it, and Michigan State looks to break that streak here on Saturday, and I think they have a pretty darn good shot of doing that. So we're going to preview this game inside and out here for today's show. Go over some matchups, some important stats, give you some facts and figures, uh, and how I sort of see this sucker playing out. Real quick, off the top, just for a, a couple minutes, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to give a couple thoughts on the Curtis Blackwell situation. The reports that uh, he was deposed, had his deposition, and said uh, Mark D'Antonio was warned about Austin Robertson's past um, before he signed him as a recruit. I would just say this. Uh, it's really important to keep in mind the context of all of this. Uh, Curtis Blackwell is an aggrieved former employee who is currently in the middle of a federal lawsuit against not just Antonio, but the school, uh, MSU police, uh, former president, uh, K. Simon, um, former athletic director, Mark Collis. It's a big lawsuit here that he's seeking lost wages, damages, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a really important piece of information, right? This isn't like a reported source or anything like that. Uh, it's also important to note that this is a deposition and generally for a federal lawsuit, a civil suit like this, um, a deposition is not a public record unless it is used in part uh, as a piece of a, a motion filed in court by an attorney. And that's what happened here. That's Blackwell's attorney filed a motion in court trying to get D'Antonio to be, um, I don't know if forced is the right word, but you know, have the judge tell D'Antonio he needs to 
be deposed under these certain strict specific regulations, whereas D'Antonio's attorneys want a shorter deposition and certain topics to be off limits. So that's sort of what this is over. And the intent of it from Blackwell's side uh, is to get exactly kind of what they got yesterday in terms of some bad press for Michigan State, for Mark D'Antonio. He's the most famous of the defendants, the one that is going to attract the most headlines. And so that is sort of the tactic there. It's a deposition. It's not, you know, it is under oath, but it's not testimony. It's not specifically related to the incident that is in question. That was the other uh, sexual assault case involving other football players. That is, you know, the mishandling of that, the quote unquote mishandling of that is what resulted in uh, Blackwell's uh, arrest, which he is counter, which he is suing for. Uh, he was not charged for that arrest, but ultimately led to him not having his contract renewed. He was suspended for violating school policy for not properly reporting that. And that's the incident that this is around. So this sort of stuff, while it may be tangentially related to that, has nothing to do with what will play out in the actual lawsuit. And so some of this stuff in there um, is kind of inadmissible hearsay. Uh, I've been told from someone who knows this stuff better than me, uh, wouldn't be something that comes up in the actual court, wouldn't be actual testimony. And so it's just kind of an understandable move from Blackwell and his attorney to do that. But it's not something that is, you know, an allegation of a crime or an allegation of an NCAA violation or any other sort of thing by Blackwell towards D'Antonio. So it's just kind of a very public playing out of what appears to be a pretty nasty divorce that resulted in a lawsuit, right? The fallout from this stuff, you know, it stretched beyond just the, the direct parties that were involved, the, the victims and the perpetrators, people lost jobs uh, over this stuff. Blackwell's contract was not renewed with Michigan state. Uh, and he was found to be in violation of university pol university policy regarding reporting sexual assault. So it just, you know, it was an ugly scene, um, an ugly divorce between Blackwell and the football program. And we're just sort of now seeing some of these little reaches play out publicly when they otherwise wouldn't have because, you know, some posturing, some PR decision-making by uh, Blackwell and his side doing what they need to do to try to ultimately get the result they want in this lawsuit. So that's what I'm going to say on it. It's something Michigan State's not going to comment on. They've already said so. D'Antonio's not going to comment. They're not going to release a statement, it doesn't look like. Spokesperson said they're not going to comment because it is pending uh, litigation. And it sounds like they're just going to kind of move on with this, you know, and treat it as a disgruntled employee trying to make them look bad and get under their skin. And while there's stuff in there that isn't the best look for D'Antonio, makes D'Antonio look bad, uh, there's not, like, the, the lead of the story is not anything entirely new. Although there are certain things there that could be troubling in the future as this thing plays out. But we just, you know, until it goes to trial, if it goes to trial, if those things ever truly become public, where it's something like, yeah, we need to, like, this is not just this guy saying this in a deposition. It's, you know, more than that. It's part of the actual trial 
because some of this stuff is not going to be a part of the trial because it's not related to the trial, to the lawsuit. Um, you know, it's just too early to kind of give any comment on that stuff beyond that because of the context of his comments, how they were given, uh, and just the fact that, you know, it's a lawsuit. That's their side. That's the deposition that was presented today, and that's kind of all we have. And so that's um, my thoughts on the situation, just kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern, I guess, before really coming to any sort of grand conclusions about if this means much at all and what it might mean. So we'll see if it plays down the road. It could be something that just quietly goes away and, you know, we don't hear about it ever again and it could you know, be something that gets even uglier. We'll have to just sort of wait and see how that stuff plays out. But their side, Blackwell's side took a took a shot and Michigan State is kind of just sitting in a holding pattern letting this thing play out. So we'll just sort of let it play out. I went on too long with that. I apologize. I'm gonna break. Um, you know, I know you came here for football analysis, but I just I didn't want to not address that because it was something that sort of made the rounds yesterday and I took five minutes instead of two minutes like I had hoped to so when we get back right back into football stuff and we'll talk about why I think Michigan State has a a pretty darn good chance to beat Northwestern this weekend and if you want to get to this game maybe you're a Spartan in Chicago trying to get tickets I'm sure it's going to be really hard to get tickets to Ryan Field the way Northwestern really sells out that venue all the time that's a cheap shot I'm I apologize to uh, the fine folks at Northwestern. Beautiful facilities, nice little practice field on the lake. It's really cool there. Anyway, if you're trying to get to this game, you need tickets. You want to see Michigan State bounce back after that lost Arizona State. You need to check out Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the specific section and row of your choice, all in the easy-to-use Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows you, the fan, to earn credit back. Vivid Seats rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app, and you'll automatically be enrolled in the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and events to the hottest theater tickets and more Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today and a promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. It's promo code KICKOFF100 to receive a discount of up to $100. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Okay, so football, Michigan State, back to the grindstone. Um, I hope that everyone who had you know, jumped overboard, so to speak, after the Arizona State game, everyone who is just done with everything Michigan State-related after the Arizona State game, didn't want to watch another game for the entire season, is totally out on this team, I hope that we've all collectively gone through the uh, the sort of grieving process there. And we're putting that behind us. We're letting the past be the past as it relates to Michigan State scoring a mere seven points against Arizona State. And we got our eyes forward, eyes on the prize, ready to watch Michigan State take on Northwestern and, and get Big Ten play started off on the right foot. And I know it's something that, Gosh, it feels like every time Michigan State loses early in a season, it gets tossed out. But D'Antonio will say, or a player will say, someone will say, well, we still got 
all our goals in front of us. We can still win the conference. We can still go to the Rose Bowl or whatever. And that's just something that nobody wants to hear, uh, especially when you score seven points at home and lose to an Arizona State team that you are significantly better than. But it's true, right? And why, you know, let's let's use that. Let's silver lining. Let's look at the silver lining here, right? It's Big Ten play. You can get it started with a road victory over a team that has just been a pain in your butt for the last few years, really for the last like seven years, even when Michigan State beats Northwestern. It's like, God, stop, Northwestern. Annoying. Anyway, <laughs> this is a weird little diatribe. We can look at it that way. It's a great chance to get the Big Ten season started off on the right foot and really bounce back and show like, hey, all the numbers that suggest that things are actually better on offense, you know, Michigan State's like 54th or 47th in total offense, and they're 45th or so in yards per play. They've got all these positive indicators that they can be an above average to just, you know, a solid-ish offense, a team that can score in the upper 20s with some consistency. It's a chance for them to show that's for real. Not going to get 51 but they can score with some consistency, move the ball, be productive, and be not an anchor dragging an all-time great Michigan State defense to mediocrity. They can be a complementary offense that can help win some games and certainly not be the primary reason to lose a game. And this is their first chance to prove that in conference play, and I think they have a good shot to do it. And I think it's a spot where if they can, it'll kind of be like, okay, you know, Northwestern's not great, but it, it, it's a spot where Michigan State, the offense especially, if they can do some things, uh, can kind of really move past the Arizona State game and I guess like kind of take a lesson from it, right? We've seen a lot of, uh, Brian Lewerke suggested uh, a couple of times that maybe they got a little big-headed little lackadaisical after lighting up Western Michigan and needed that humbling. And now hopefully, you know, even though that is somehow it's like unfathomable, like one game, how could you feel that way after all the struggles they've had before? But, you know, maybe they needed it and maybe this will be the the sort of first step that like almost Iowa game that they had in 2013 to sort of get things back on track. Northwestern number 69 in SP plus number 17 on defense. Um, I told you yesterday, I've, I watched them play UNLV. I watched them against Stanford. Uh, I don't think the defense is anything special. I think it's solid. I think they'll come down a little bit in terms of that number and be, you know, a top 30-ish defense this season, but they're not going to be like a top 15 type defense, at least from what I've seen. And again, it's only a couple of days, but they gave up some huge plays to UNLV. <clears throat> uh, they would have given up more. I mean, they only gave up really, I think it was 10 to Stanford. And then there was that last little uh, backdoor. I think it was a fumble return, if I'm remembering correctly, but a weird touchdown at the very end of the game uh, that made it 17 to seven. But Stanford lost their quarterback in that game and doesn't appear to be a very good team, especially uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So I think 
you know, while Northwestern is solid, has some good players on that side of the ball, it's certainly a matchup that I would be less worried about. I am less worried about than the Arizona State game. They're not as good as Arizona State on defense. They're not as aggressive. They don't blitz a ton. They're just, you know, they're in their four down look. If you spread them out, they go 4-1, they go 4-2. Patty Fisher's always roaming the middle there. They have some guys that can get a little bit of pressure, but Michigan State is one of the best teams in the country in sack percentage this season. I think they're, I saw they were 12th, 15th, something like that in sack percentage. Um, you know, in terms of the run game, maybe at times it's a little bit slow going against Northwestern, but like Northwestern against UNLV gave up 144 yards on 16 carries. Um, Oh, what's his name? It's Williams. It's uh, Charles Williams. There you go. Charles Williams, UNLV's running back. And he's a good back, but he's not, you know, like a, a world-beating type player. It doesn't appear to be. Like, he's a solid player, but there are big holes, right? You don't rush for that sort of average without having some big holes. And UNLV was able to open up Northwestern a little bit by spreading them out, running zone, inside zone, outside, mid zone. Uh, They ran their quarterback. They would do RPOs. They would do zone reads. Uh, A lot of things that we've seen Michigan State run with some success this year. You know, UNLV was doing that. Against Stanford, there was a lot of power stuff. A lot of two tight ends, two running backs, three tight ends. Big power Stanford football. And I think Northwestern's more comfortable playing that kind of game uh, as opposed to more spread out, more athletes on the field, smaller type football. And I think Michigan State is at its best when it's playing like that. I think that certainly is the way that you get the best out of Brian Lewerke. I've gone over on this show and in my writing a ton just how much better Michigan State is running out of spread formations, running zone principled uh, run plays. And I think that matches up really well with Northwestern. Uh, They're not a fast defense. They've got some big guys. They've got some really smart, good, strong football players. Just solid, right? Kind of that Northwestern thing, but they're they're not the absolute most athletic. Uh, a guy like Anthony Williams, I think, can have some success. Certainly, I think Eli Collins is going to have some room in this game and is going to be able to get to the second level, make guys missed, and have some chunk plays. Um, I think receivers are going to be able to find some space. Brian Lewerke will be able to do some things. Um, you know, it's a good defense. It's a solid defense, but I I think Michigan state on that side of the ball schematically will match up pretty well with them. And again, they move the ball really well against Arizona state. They did. And Arizona state was a bad matchup. Arizona state's a better defense has better players, better individual players, better athletes all over the place, a more aggressive scheme. And is they, they do a lot of things that really take away the things that Michigan State does well. And they still were able to rack up 400 plus yards on them, had first downs on almost every single drive, had multiple drives that were like, you know, eight plus plays, got into Arizona State's territory on nearly every drive, I think had one three and out. Did a lot of really positive things. Had a really nice yards per play number. Were really efficient in the passing game. You know, the run game wasn't quite as efficient, but that wasn't the biggest shock in the world. I thought it would be a little bit of tough sledding 
uh, there for sure. And, you know, Michigan State was still able to do some positive things against them. We've talked about how much of a statistical anomaly the points were compared to all their other production numbers. Um, And I think Michigan State's going to be able to move the ball a bit on Northwestern and be able to eclipse that 400-yard marker, uh, be able to get into the mid-20s, high-20s, and do enough to make everyone who was like jumping off the bandwagon panicking that this is 2018 all over again. I think they'll be able to do enough on the offensive side of the ball to be able to sort of quell some of those fears for at least another week. And I would say two weeks because you got Indiana after that and you should they should be able to put up some points on the Hoosiers as well. Okay, I want to break here just for one second. And when we come back, continue on with this, talk a little bit about Northwestern when they have the ball, some of their really important injuries, um, some injuries for Michigan State as well to, to keep an eye on and um, some things to watch on the offensive line for MSU going into this game. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF100 at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Okay, so Northwestern is really bad at offense. I know I talked about this yesterday, but I want to give you a few more numbers just to kind of solidify it because, you know, SP plus um, at this point in the season is is weighted a bit by preseason projections, which are generally accurate. You know, it takes into consideration returning production and at what position and yada, yada, yada. But Northwestern, excuse me, 119th and SP plus offense, not great. That's worse than Michigan State finished last season. They finished at 114 last season. So they project right now. That's That 119 means Northwestern is projecting to be the 119th best offense in college football. Um, in terms of total offense, which, you know, give or take, um, means some stuff. It's not a great stat. They're 112th in college football. Uh, they're... They, um, you know, only scored seven points on Stanford, which, you know, Stanford, right? Really good Stanford defense. Well, the next game, Stanford played USC, gave up 45 to USC and their backup quarterback. And USC has, you know, the 22nd ranked offense in SP Plus. So it's a solid offense, but it's not, you know, a team that's going to be averaging in the 40s. Uh, And then they go and play UCF which, you know, we like UCF. I like UCF. I think UCF has a good team. They're the 25th ranked offense, and UCF puts up 45 on them. Um, And honestly, it probably could have been more. UCF was absolutely, like, they lit them up, but, like, they were, it was nasty for a while. Like, UCF put a freaking number on Stanford. So um, that makes Northwestern scoring only seven points on Stanford stand out to me. Yes, they scored 30 against UNLV, um, but that game was 23-7. to They had only had 23 points uh, until really late in the game. Uh, UNLV, number 95 uh, in SP Plus defense. So one of the worst defensive teams uh, in the bottom, whatever, 30% of defensive teams in the country uh, in Northwestern. 
you know, didn't really do a ton to put up big numbers on them. They had like 300 or no, they had 440 yards of total offense. Most of that was on the ground. Um, that's not going to be repeatable for Northwestern Hunter Johnson quarterback there, TJ green, the other guy who was playing quarterback out for the season. So it's a Hunter Johnson show, the transfer from Clemson under 50% passing against UNLV 165 yards, touchdown, a really terrible interception has some talent, but the passing game is just not good at all for them right now. And so, you know, they, Isaiah Bowser is also hurt. They're like, they're starting running backs questionable this week. Jesse Brown, their other good running back, their their second best running back, I would say, is also questionable this week. He hurt his foot or ankle. He hurt something against UNLV. Uh, and so they've got Drake Anderson leading the way as the healthiest of the running backs. And I just think it's going to be tough sledding for UNLV or UNLV. It's for Northwestern to try to establish that run game. Considering the injuries at running back, the quarterback runs it a bit. He's not an elite athlete, but he's solid. The run or the offensive line is okay. Um, I think is going to have a really tough time moving Michigan State's defensive line, and I don't think Northwestern's going to be able to run the ball much. And Hunter Johnson has yet to show the ability to be a consistently good passer. He's got a big arm, you know. Maybe with the pressing corners and the way Michigan State plays defense. They take some big shots in the passing game, hit some big shots. Um, I don't see that totally uh, coming together for them. I don't think that's the best plan, relying on a guy who's like, completed 42% of his passes this season <laughs> and has one touchdown and three interceptions and a QBR of like 26. Like That's maybe not the best plan to try to have him have his breakout game against Michigan State's defense. Uh, but they're going to do the quick passing stuff that you know they are – a spread team. They're in 11 a lot. They're in 10 a lot. Um, rarely do they go heavy. Uh, they like the quick passing game. They do some zone read. They, they mix zone and power schemes. Uh, I think they might have better success with zone, but still not a ton of great success because Michigan State's interior is just monstrous. Um, it's, it's tough to imagine Northwestern scoring more than 10 points uh, in this game unless their defense or special teams are able to come up with great field position or a, a touchdown of their own. Um, you know, Arizona state has the hundred and 111th offense in SP plus compared to Stanford's 119th. And yes, Arizona state got to 10. I think they're pretty fortunate to get to 10. And I think Northwestern is going to struggle to get, much more than that. Like, you know, maybe they hit a big play and get a touchdown. Maybe they get a field goal drive. Tough to imagine them getting beyond that. Sure, weird things happen. You know, we just saw a really weird game this last weekend. Um, maybe they hit some big plays that are able to get into the 20s. Northwestern's shown this weird ability to do better on offense against Michigan State than they should. Uh, but I just, you know, it would have to be a sort of fluky one-off type thing. And with the bad luck Michigan State suffered last week, and I think they're going to get some luck flipped around for them this weekend. Uh, other things that are interesting to be looking out for in this game, uh, Tyler Higby playing left guard. Kevin Jarvis is out for the next month and a half, couple months. And so Higby is going to get the first shot there to sort of be the experienced fifth-year senior veteran to step in. 
but I think there's a real chance we see Devontae Dobbs. I think there's a real chance we see other freshmen, uh, Nick Samak, J.D. Duplain. Uh, they're all on the two deep now. So I think there's a real chance we could see some of those guys, and I think Dobbs might be the first one sort of in line for some work, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, if he can get in there and show himself well and establish himself, you know, that would be game two for him. He would have two more before they would have to take the red shirt off. And you get a couple more, you know, maybe he sees more time against Indiana and then you make a decision. Is he going to be playing this year? Is he going to be burning that red shirt and your starting left tackle uh, is a true freshman? Highly touted, but still a true freshman. And that's, you know, that's something to look out for this weekend as well. Uh, you know, just how I see it playing out, I think Michigan State's able to move the ball a bit. Run game is more efficient than they were against Arizona State, but not ripping off 20-yard runs every other play like they were against Western. You know, back around four and a half, five yards per carry as a team. Lowerke, I think, is going to be sharp. He always seems to play well, for the most part, against Northwestern. Had a really excellent game against them in 2017, um, which is kind of what I'm basing that off of, I guess. But I think he's been sharp so far this year, and I expect him to continue that. I expect Michigan State speed uh, at receiver and at running back to give Northwestern some fits. I hope we see some more Anthony Williams this week. I think he should get five, six, seven carries, catch out of the backfield, put him in the slot, throw a screen to him, something like that, get him involved in the pass game because I think his speed and athleticism and quickness can make a difference in a game like this. But the the Vegas spread is nine and a half. Uh, I've told you, I've written about how I'm very comfortable laying those points in this game, even though it may go against, I don't know, uh, the public perception goes against uh, recency bias, what we just saw. You know, sometimes our eyes lies to, lie to us. Recency bias can be a, a very great distractor of things that are actually happening. So uh, I think Michigan State's going to go into Northwestern. I think they're going to look much better than they did against Arizona State. I think the offense is going to move the ball and be able to get a few touchdowns in there. Uh, and I think Spartan Nation will collectively breathe a sigh of relief uh, and be able to move on from the Arizona State game and focus on the next week of Big Ten play and get excited about their team that, you know, is a team that really could compete for the Big Ten East because I still think they are, uh, and I think they sort of bounce back this week and show us why they are a team that can threaten to win 10 games this season. Okay, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, all week here on Locked on Spartans. A reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes on your phone every single day. We'll be back Monday with a full recap, hopefully a recap of a win, because this week the first couple of days were like, ugh, not, uh, not the most fun shows to do. So hopefully we have some fun shows to kick off the week next week. But we'll be back Monday with a full recap of this game. We will see you then.